Hi, I'm Jane. And I'm Sophie. Welcome to A TARDIS OF ONE'S OWN. A queer feminist journey through time and space and new who. Happy New Year! <laughs> Happy New Year to you too. We've had, what, 12 days of the New Year? We yeah. are on... The 12th of January is recording day, and we are back in the studio. The studio at the work office. <laughs> Tiny meeting room. Yeah, MVP. We love yeah. this meeting room. It's a, it's a favourite one. And it's quite empty today, so we'll have minimal weirdos walking past. Yeah, which is good, because I uh, was really uncomfy, so I just took my bra off. Well, this is a safe space. <laughs> a safe, inclusive, feminist space. Burn yeah. your bra. I don't think it's honestly the best thing about holidays. It's like wearing house clothes all the time. And I mean house clothes, like... Who's telling me what I have to wear, but, you know. Yeah, well, we do. We are enforced, whatever. What are Even they though, Dress codes. Yeah, dress codes. Even though our manager has opinions on denim, our manager manager has opinions on denim, and Jenna's wearing blue denim today. I am wearing blue denim. <laughs> it's the return of Punk Jen 2023. TK23. <laughs> Woo! So I'm just doing whatever I want yeah. and wearing punkish clothes. Which mostly involves wearing weird coloured lipsticks. But yeah. we'll see how long that goes. I'm into it. Uh, today it's a matte orange. Yeah. I'm a fan. And a green eyeliner. Yeah. I may have Googled this morning what lipstick colour goes best with green. I yeah, perfect. And they said orange, red or brown. I'm like, well, I happen to have an orange. So. Yeah, red would be a bit Christmas. It is very Christmas, especially this close to December. Yeah, yeah. So I think the elephant in the room was how much we talked about being tired. Last year, yeah, <laughs> 2022, very tired. Sleepy, sleepy, sleepy. Tired all the time, which I think we shouldn't do in 2023. Yeah. I don't want to police our safe space <laughs> and how we feel and what we can say. Like, sometimes we are just tired, but I feel like when we asked, when asked was... how we are, it's just like, we are tired. So let's diversify. Just assume that we are tired. <laughs> That's the baseline. I'm going to stop reminding everybody... <laughs> That we are tired. How tired we uh, are. Yeah. So it was like, we'll just have other personality traits other than being tired. Yeah. In addition to, to being, being tired. tired. Exactly. So on that note, <laughs> how are you? Um, I'm good. Good. Uh, no. So today is my second day, as it is for you, back in the office. Mm-hmm. Isn't like back to work at all. And, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Getting used to it. Yesterday was very like, okay, I'm just going to like clean out my inbox clear out the shared inbox, like, work on emails, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. revise my to-do list, like, start some very, like, basic prep tasks. Felt like I had a productive day. But that was, like, you know, rearranging stuff. Today was actually, like, do some work, and that's not fun. No. Which is why it's good to start on a Wednesday, oh, I think. Yeah. Jesus, I couldn't Three have come into a five-day week. Christ alive. I've learned from previous mistakes, so yeah, I was yeah, like, no, no way. Never. I always come back in a short week after a long break. Yeah. Smart. Smart. And I've um, been booking leave, future yeah. leave, because that's what you do on your first day back in the 100% office. I did that yesterday. To the supervisor, straight mm-hmm. away. I was like, I've um, been here an hour, but I'm going to put some leave in. <laughs> yeah. Future planning. Yeah, fun yeah, times, yeah cool. Fun times. Yeah, no, so thank you for asking me. I'm fine. I'm getting back into the groove of it it's lovely to be back at work because i get to see you that is genuinely like 90 percent of me enjoying my job did accidentally make a joke today about people realizing over the christmas holidays that they hit their jobs and find new jobs and so then a supervisor and loads of colleagues were like so what and then i was like no i don't mean me like if i hated my job like you would know about it so i don't hate my job it's fun to work i'm privileged that i work but i really love holidays yeah so it's not the job, it's the capitalist system that we be. It is. With. I would just like to be paid to exist. I've got so many lovely books to read. I've got so many, you know, walks to frolic on. 
loved ones to see. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to earn a crust. No, and I think I was thinking that earlier this week as well. Monday, Tuesday, obviously I wasn't at work, and I'm like, oh, my days are so full. Like I go to the gym, I do things, I make lunches, I'm cooking, I'm baking. Yeah. Why must I now force work into the schedule? No, my I day know. is full. I don't want to do work. First day back yesterday, get home in the evening. And then I'm like, okay, when I have to do all my life stuff, yeah, and relaxing in inverted commas, you can't see my bunny ears, relaxing in this tiny little gap of time in the evening, and then it's rinse, fucking repeat, yeah. and you know, and this is the whole year, yeah, to look forward is to. What, is this Ooh. what we live for? New time? year, new me. <laughs> no. So anyway, how are you? No, oh, I'm good. I, you know, you made a joke yesterday that I'm still being nihilistic, but I was <laughs> yeah. like, no, I'm feeling good. I'm positive. Yeah. I'm doing it for the ha 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 fun side of it, and not that. A deep dread of existence side that's Yay, yet to come. So that's I do good. Feel I had a very busy break traveling all over the place, but jet setting. Yeah, it's good. It's nice to just settle into a routine. Mm. Yeah, that's actually what I do like. Mm. At least the work pattern gives me structure. Yeah. And I am a routine bear. Like I do I do like the structure. Yeah. It's just easier to get things done when I have a routine. Otherwise I'm like I love being able to be like, what do I want to do today? But there comes a level of anxiety yeah, with yeah. that as well, where I'm like, yeah. I haven't done as much today as I wanted to because it was just yeah. up to me. And, and I, yeah. also like I kind of as you know, I'm a planner. Spontaneity, not necessarily like I there is some level of nervousness there. So what I like to do is create opportunity for spontaneity, which sounds lame, but it's more like Oh, on this Saturday, I'll make sure I've got nothing, no chores to do, no errands to run, and see how I feel in the morning. Mm. So I'm being like, maybe I could do this, maybe I could do that. So I'm, okay, I'm creating some space for spontaneity, but also I'm not just like flying busting in my pants and like a fucking chaos world, which I can't do. So anyway, yeah. Wow, great start. Would you uh, like to yeah, introduce so the episode? We're back at it. Back in season two, we're watching episode 11, Fear Her. So in this episode, children vanish into thin air in 2012 London, and the Doctor and Rose find the answers in seemingly ordinary household, and a girl whose drawings can come to life. So this is a... Actually, I just wanted to give some context for you. This is another kind of universally reviled episode. Like, often at the time, Mm. people would vote on their least favourite episode in the RTD era, and this would always top the poll. Like, people hated this episode. I never really understood because I don't. I think there are worse eps. There are definitely worse eps than this. I just don't really. It's just kind mm. of a, a nothing episode for me. It's just a bit flat. Yeah. It didn't offend me when I first watched it. I didn't really think anything of it, but people do loathe it. But also, fun fact, it was a last minute script because Matthew Graham was asked to write it after they couldn't do Stephen Fry's episode. Stephen Fry had written an episode for this season. Oh. And there were budget constraints, so they were going to push it to season three, but then they couldn't do it in season three because it needed too many rewrites, so the whole thing was shelved. So this was kind of the last ring-in episode, and RTD wanted something that appealed more to younger audiences before the double ep finale. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of how this came about. So it was a very last-minute little wee ep. So um, this is super fascinating, and thank you for that context, because my initial vibes were, this episode is really weird, mm. but not weird in like a whoa, wacky way, just in a like, meh. Yeah. Like, exactly what you said. Didn't hate it. Definitely didn't love it. Like, my notes are the most minimal I've ever had, because I've got literally nothing to say. Yeah. And how it came how it came off to me was, this is really low budget. Yeah. Like, it's set in one street. There's, like, minimal, minimal, CGI. Yep. minimal CGI, minimal actors, especially, like, character famous actors, like, mm-hmm. none. It just reads as 
we had to do a low budget app and we've set it in the near future that's close enough that it can be identical to current day London. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was shot in Cardiff and they had that whole thing about, oh yeah, the street's really cold because the aliens sucking the warmth out yeah. just to justify the fact that people had like coats on and steam breath. Yeah. yeah. They look so fucking cold. Everyone's, everyone's got hard nips <laughs> because they're all like, oh, it's summertime, but because the aliens here, it's freezing. It's like, no, you were just wearing a t-shirt in fucking winter in Wales. <laughs> like, you can tell as soon as they've cut filming, everyone would just be like, coats, coats. We call that the magic of cinema. <laughs> um, okay, but before we get into the discussion question, Bechdel test. Oh, yes. The old woman and the mum at the very beginning. Yep. But they're talking about weird stuff yep. and doctor generally, but not like that doctor. But, I mean, like barely. And Rose and the mum sort of have a few convos, but. Yeah, true. Yeah, so yeah, but mm. like, not in like. In a meaningful fun way. way. Yeah, no. just like a kind of token way. Okay. Um, so I have thoughts. I watched the episode last night, so I've had less time than usual to think about stuff. But what leapt out at me from this episode is the theme of loneliness. So in this episode, the young girl has been possessed, for want of a better word, by this very ancient nomadic alien being mm-hmm. who is constantly yearning for its family, its companions that it's been separated from for millennia and it just keeps reiterating how lonely it is, how it wants company, how it wants more and more people and the child is being possessed to, through her drawings, suck these people, the kids off the street, into a kind of reassumed plane of reality where they can like exist with the being. Mm. That's not really explained where the kids go, but just like enough in the paint in the pictures for enough holding zone kind of way. Uh yeah, and I thought in- loneliness is an interesting topic. I think from a queer perspective, there's a lot to kind of talk about there, a lot to unpack there. Like being queer across the spectrum of queerness can be really isolating and mm-hmm. really lonely, especially if you come from a background, come from a family, come from a location where you don't have community. Mm. Um, don't have familial support, don't see people like you, mm-hmm. and that can be so lonely. Yeah. Yeah, and then even, I think there's some feminist discussion there too around experience as a woman, you know, even like more traditional roles of like women in the home, isolated from family from work, especially mm-hmm. the rise of the nuclear family, being the breadwinner at home, and you know, that's less yeah. the case now, but not really like when you're kind of told mm. to. I mean, yeah, if you, I don't know if you've ever seen Revolutionary Road. Where, I have, yes. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that's one of the things that always stuck with me. Like, it's mm-hmm. been years since I've seen that film, but I still remember her being in this, you know, mm-hmm. suburban hell and just being so isolated and so alone in that yeah. situation. And so many of those stories that get told about women in the 1950s, these housewives, it is often centered on their isolation and their yep. loneliness and how they get into the Valium. Yep. Yeah, a couple of handful of items. <laughs> yeah, literally, <laughs> some like ludes. Yeah, get you through. <laughs> yeah, and I, it's interesting talking about queerness and loneliness as well. I, you know, we were chatting about. Well, I was telling you about this wedding that I went to. Yeah. How it was strange to me a lot of the things that come up because I'm not used to working in circles or having friendship circles like that that are so traditional. And so when I am in those traditional spaces, it sometimes comes as a bit of a shock to me. And I think that applies to to this as well when we've just come from Christmas. If you're a queer person, you've gone home for Christmas, you've gone to your family, that can be an intensely lonely experience because you're suddenly just this outlier, the only one, and you start to question your own reality sometimes where you're like, wow, am I the only one 
I can't believe I lived like this, you know, that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, even having representation, like, especially when you're young, you realize, like, you might be, you feel different. You might, you know, for a while when I was young, I thought maybe I was gay mm. just because, like, I didn't, wasn't particularly into, I didn't have a boyfriend or anything when I was a teenager. But I didn't really understand what gay was. I just understood that some people could be attracted to women, like, when I was young. But then I realized at the time, like, I'm not gay. I'm super queer and kind of into everyone. But I just didn't have the words anything the words but also role modeling of anything that wasn't mm. super trad cis het mm-hmm. boy and girl like each other boy and girl become boyfriend and girlfriend like mm-hmm. very like girl side boys side you know everyone was getting boy like little boyfriends when we were like 13 or whatever yeah anything that isn't that kind of very trad cis het experience yeah i was like okay it's- i don't feel like that so it's so interesting you mentioned that because I briefly, really quickly read an essay before we came down here. Yep. It's called Learning This is a Feminist Issue by Eleanor Wilkinson. I think it's a pitch to do some research. I didn't really read the whole thing. But it was interesting because it talked about how contemporary constructions position loneliness as something shameful and pathological and that it's an individual failure. Like you need to take responsibility for your loneliness rather than a structural condition. And just on that topic of like heteronormativity, she mentions that feeling lonely may lead us to cling to normative ideas of togetherness, the desire to desperately belong, to enter the realm of the social, the couple, the familial. And it talks about the problem of loneliness is often framed in a way that upholds other normative and exclusionary ideals, family values, romantic love, and nostalgic visions of community. Mm. It very much frames the answer to your loneliness as this heteronormative picture of suburban bliss. Like, that is what's going to, to cure yeah. you, you know? The, the essay goes on to say that loneliness is so often used to mask over structural abandonment and violent inaction. Yeah, and it's almost like a character flaw. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're, you need to go out and make some friends then yeah. if you're lonely. Like, why are you not putting the effort in? Or and it why d- are you, like, yeah. just being a house mouse? And it doesn't acknowledge the fact that there are conditions that lead to that loneliness. Emotional mm-hmm. labor that predominantly fall to women, child caring, all these things that prohibit them from forming those community relationships that maybe they need if you're isolated in the home queer relationships as well or like being a queer person you, you don't have the safety to go out and form community mm-hmm. if you live in some rural town you know what are you going to do yeah your personal safety is at risk there as well so yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah very much becomes this thing where the antithesis of loneliness is heteronormativity but that itself comes with loneliness like you're not guaranteed to not be lonely no not at all and if anything like something i always remember when i think about my own feelings on potential motherhood is how isolating mm. lots of people's accounts are of of motherhood how and parenthood mm. yeah of like having a tiny little baby and you being the parent at home mm. and being either literally bound to the house because you've got a child who's you know small fussy mm. doesn't sleep well you know feeling like you need to kind of keep it in its safe space or you're worried that it might cry in public so you have social anxiety or you are not sure how to, you know, kind of navigate the world now that you have this extra little person and so you just stay at home and all your friends that may or may not have children themselves not, might not come and visit you and you feel isolated from work because everyone kind of forgets you exist while you're on parental leave. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, yeah. But you're sort of not allowed to talk about that either. You're not allowed to mm-hmm. say that, hey, actually having this child or having a small baby, especially that first year, I think, of a, yeah. a baby's life, you know, it's, it is hard, but you're just supposed to be this joyous mother, right? You can't be like, actually, guys, this kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah. This essay also talks about how feminists and queer studies have a long history of trying to reclaim and revalue lonely figures. You know, rather than the assumption that someone has failed, this idea that you should 
being lonely or being isolated can inspire you to create things, right? Like this kind of idea of how we should reframe it rather than being like, oh, to be lonely is bad, that there are positives that come from that kind of yeah. loneliness. Yeah, that's cool. That's an interesting perspective. I think my my gut feel there that I probably need to check is some level of don't try and tell me to make a positive out of a thing that sucks. You know, I want to yeah, be like, get yeah. fucked. When people are like, oh, no, but like, you know, through depression, you may unlock someone. I'm like, no, it fucking is shit to feel shit. Like, don't tell me how to... Because I think it veers close to the toxic positivity. I'm not saying that that's what you meant there at all. I'm just saying that, yeah. No, I definitely can see how that could be perceived like that. I think the way I read it, though, is someone who gets constantly told that I must be lonely. Mm. And I'm not lonely. I'm not a lonely person. But I'm an only child. Mm. So people would always be like, oh, you must be so lonely. I'm not like I don't know any better. How can I be lonely? (laughs) Like, I don't know what it's like to have a sibling. So... Mm. It doesn't bother me. And, you know, I am an introvert and I do spend a lot of time on my own and I used to live on my own until very recently and people would always be like, aren't you lonely though? And it's always like this, people want me to be sad. You know, I'm single, (laughs) I live on my own. It's like people want me to be a sad, lonely Mm -mm. spinster with no children and I'm actually just living my best life, loving my life. And Mm -hmm. I think that is a revolutionary act and people don't like it because it is a direct challenge to what you're supposed to want as a woman. No, absolutely, and I think that sometimes there's a there's quite a lot of comparison going on there, like uh, that's maybe validation related. That they're like, oh well, I don't have a partner and I feel intensely lonely, so oh, Jen must feel like me too. Yeah, it's trying to justify their feelings. It's trying to you know, or even if you know they have a flatmate and they have a partner, so they're trying to be like you know, subconsciously, well, at least you know some stuff in my life isn't great, but at least I'm better than Jen who yeah, lives yeah, alone. Yeah. And you're like, no, that's not the one way to exist. Parents always tell you that you won't know true love until you have a child. It's like they want you to have what they have or they try to justify their choices by making it a comparison to how you live your life. And at the end of the day, we only have our own context to judge our lives in. Oh, absolutely. That's it. You can't, you don't know someone else's experience. Just kind of circling back to the the great point you made from the um, abstract that you're reading. Mm. I think... There can be a lots of lots of toxicity involved in people's management of loneliness, just mm. because we have this pressure of like, oh, look, being lonely is horrible. It feels yuck. Societally, you're not meant to be alone. Like we're community people, so people make fucked up decisions to try and avoid loneliness. Now, yeah. if that means staying in bad relationships because they're like, yeah. no one else will love me, or I don't want to be Marrying on my own. The first guy that comes along, settling literally for less than you deserve, than you want, than you need, because the fear of being alone mm-hmm. is worse than dealing with a shitty relationship. Mm-hmm. Even to the extent of having a family, create, having getting yeah. a, a partner, a spouse, having children, because you're like, at least if I make my own family, then I won't be alone. Yeah. I'm, And I say this with no judgment. Like, it's just, I know it happens. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, definitely. People definitely settle, I think, as well. Like, I know yeah. a lot of women who were single for a long time and then just kind of married the first guy they laid their hands on. Which sounds terrible, and like you know, I'm sure they they're happy in their own way, but yeah, there's a there's an element of settling there because they're worried they're never gonna find anyone else. Yeah, this is true, and it's not just women; guys definitely do that the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, across all genders, that experience is there, I'm sure. But I think it does have a het vibe. Like, I think it's more mm. because there is this cultural narrative of like, you know, if you're a cis woman, it's like find your man, your Mister Right. You're conditioned to do that from a very young age. Like, it's basically the yeah. first thing you get taught. And I think there is this expectation in this heteronormative society of how we measure success, right? So you can have mm. everything in life. And you see this in Christmas films, in any sort of film. It's like, 
She's got everything, but she doesn't have a boyfriend. She's got everything, but she's not married and she doesn't have kids. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter how successful you are. If you don't meet these steps, yeah. you're somehow failing. So you need to like get married. You need the, the house with the white picket fence. You need the 2.5 children and the dog. You know, mm-hmm. Otherwise, how are you going to know that you've made it as a, a human being? But it comes to a point where you have to unlearn these things that you've been told you need to want and you like you have to sit and go is this actually something i want which is something i had to do yeah same like 100%. and that wasn't once no that happened over a period of time and is continuing to happen to interrogate that and be like actually what is me yeah what is what i think i should want what is what i used to want what is my current reality and we've spoken about that with career right where it's yeah. like oh actually do i want to do this do i want a promotion do i want to be a man like do I want to take this next step or is that yeah. only am I doing it because I that's what mm-hmm. the ladder is right and you think it's expectation yeah in the workplace and how's yeah. it going to look on my CV if yeah. I do this bullshit I, I no longer care yeah Opt how it looks out yeah exactly yeah interesting so turning to the episode mm. yeah I mean literally my notes are something and nothing <laughs> it's more just a kind of a series of odd like you know we do random observations like i feel like the episode is just like a string of random observations <laughs> with like this plot that i'm like eh, i don't really care i'm just gonna do an abuse trigger warning because there's okay. quite a lot of abuse of dad stuff in there. yeah there is and i will also say that i don't think you needed it i don't think yeah. you needed the abuse of dad subplot like that the, was fucked hey the plot held together on its own without that i don't know why that was included that they needed to add this kind of scary terrifying bit at the end which Seems kind of gratuitous. Yeah, but I do like that it... I suppose it brings the mum and the daughter closer together so you have a really nice bonding moment for them that they vanquish this trauma together. Yeah. And that is a better message in terms of domestic violence than domestic abuse than the idiot's lantern which was kind of like oh well just stick with him because he's your father so i do appreciate that that's quite a nice pivot but i don't think you needed it i don't Mm. think it added anything to the story to have this terrifying figure in the closet the fact that the children were being stolen from the street should have been Mm. enough terror but the parents seemed oddly fine with their kids disappearing they're like oh kids wander off sometimes that random man i hated that man and he wasn't even the dad of dale who went (laughs) he was like dale's friend's dad and he was like, oh, you know, Dale was playing with my son and, you know, kids just wander off. Like, Jesus Christ. I feel like there'd be more of an uproar if children were actually disappearing. Like, the, the parents just seemed a little chill. And if they were a bit more stressed about it, then I think that would have been enough tension yeah. to carry the episode. That's a great point. I think that, to some degree, this episode had a bit of a vein of passivity. Mm. So, with the parents, like, being like, the kids are missing... But then they're not really doing like putting some posters up, and then the grand, but like the old lady being like, bad stuff's happening, and everyone's like, oh, okay, like really passive about it. Yeah. And then the mum is being really passive in the face of her daughter obviously not being okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like. Well, maybe that's why we needed the abuse of the storyline as a trigger because the mum is obviously also traumatized by that, and so yeah. maybe she's just used to dissociating and not like she's obviously ignoring the fact that there's something wrong with her daughter. Like she's yeah, not yeah. dealing with Straight it. Straight up. Yeah. And so you get this idea that you know chloe couldn't talk to her mum about it like so she's just bottled up all her feelings she hasn't dealt with her own trauma because obviously her mum can't help her with that because she's so separate and so that's why chloe ends up feeling so alone so maybe that's why you needed the abuse storyline to make the mum's dissociation make sense but also a kid can just feel lonely they could have just moved there a dead dad on its own could have been isolating and traumatic enough a million ways to not have to do weird like 
familial violence. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of, I kept hoping that the episode was going to go in a bit of a different direction. Like, as soon as we realised that, that Chloe was possessed by this alien thing, I was like, exorcism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, like, no, it's more of a, in a, in a way, but like in a more passive way that they end up exercising. Yeah, that Isolas has to choose to leave her, right? Yeah. Like, chooses to go which is to maybe a tender ship. way than you know getting like a priest yeah, and, some and holy that water. is something i did like about the episode is how the doctor was very he was very much a mediator between like aliens and humans and he's mm. like it's not the aliens fault this is just the way that it's this is its psychology this is its yeah, yeah, yeah. biology whatever talking about them being such empathic creatures yeah. like trying to really find that compassion and you know he's just being like it's just a child like it's yeah just a, yeah you know, it it's just quite... a thousands of years old but it's still just a child yeah i thought that was quite sweet I yeah. will say that I don't understand because if their soul is like they all bond through love and stuff, right? And they're like empathic and whatever. Yeah. So now you're kidnapping children off the street who do not want to be in your painting. There can't be much love going on there. So no, could, surely. Surely, maybe that's why it still feels empty because it's not getting the sustenance it actually needs. Well, this is it, and it kept she the I saw this through Chloe kept saying they just keep moaning, they keep moaning. Maybe because they are lonely because they're individually trapped in their pictures. I just think they've been stolen from their lives. So they're yeah, never gonna be so they're going to moan about, you know, let me out, I'm scared, I'm yeah. young, or the cat, meow, meow, meow. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the, it's like interesting that their Solus has this power to do this, but doesn't have, and that's the theme of the episode, you know, ionic power, like talking about how much energy is needed to do this snatching. Mm. But still, it's just a child wielding this power. Yeah. It doesn't know what it's doing, but it has great power to do it with. Yeah. Just kind of scary. And yeah, again, fucking out like Doctor Who just being bleak, but it low key bleak. Yeah. Like the whole abusive storyline, the mm. loneliness, and it like being like, but cute little pictures. <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite a lot. I think it was interesting how Rose had to pivot and change how she like engages with Chloe. So she, you get this vibe that she's really awkward. She doesn't mm. really know what to do with the kids. She has a very different opinion about how to deal with this than the Doctor, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then the Doctor gets snatched, and she sort of gets real aggro with yeah. Chloe, and she's like, okay, no. That's obviously not working. I need to channel what the doctor told me and try a, a different approach. So that's interesting to see. It's a good character moment for her. Yeah, that I agree. She does that. Yeah. As soon as things started disappearing, I was like, the TARDIS is going to get fucking disappeared. Like, <laughs> how many episodes have we seen now where the TARDIS is like lost or broken or missing? It's the only way you can do it. Otherwise, it fixes everything, right? Yeah. You need to disable it. I think it's ironic that the Isolus claims to love Chloe. Like, it keeps talking about, I love Chloe Webber, mm. I'm never leaving her, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, it's like, out. And it yeah, leaves literally, her to deal totally with the gone. abusive father yep. on her own. She's like, YOLO. Super toxic. It's like that love bombing. <laughs> yeah. That, like, that people do when they're, like, trying to form connections. Sometimes narcissists do it a lot. Mm. This love bombing of, like, no, but I need you. I, like, I love you. I care about you. And they're, like, it just conditions people into being real fucked up about how they feel in you know mm. relation to like their self-esteem and validation and yeah it's really interesting yeah who needs enemies with friends like that yeah christ alive <laughs> and it's really interesting side points that just get kind of low-key raised but not explored that the doctor being like i was a dad yep does that come up later well i mean it's in his backstory okay cool so i think the first doctor traveled with his daughter yeah, maybe. Hmm. Or granddaughter? I forget. Hmm. But anyway, it's a canonically in the character's backstory that he was a father and a grandfather. Or they were father and... Parent? They were a parent. Yeah, yeah grandparent. Yeah. But I also love he drops that in and then Rose is like, what? what? And he just moves yeah, it's on. just like, nah, don't get, don't get any more there. I mean, 
through some maybe some time some random observations because a lot of my notes is that oh this was all random for me (laughs) yeah literally i recognize that actress she's turns up and everything the mum. oh yeah she's been in other things is she in doctor who another episode of doctor who i feel like this isn't her first or her last because they recycle actors sometimes (laughs) well there's only five in the uk (laughs) shush (laughs) there's more than five um yeah i'm glad you recognized her as well when she did the girl did the scribble and then the scribble was trapped in the garage as soon as it burst out i was scribble creature out loud i wrote it down and then the doctor was like it's a scribble creature and i was like yay cute <laughs> scribble creature makes people really angry but i think it's quite cute i quite enjoy it's it really we- it's not really explained how does it just randomly spawn somewhere like it, that one chose to spawn in a garage <laughs> like, like pokemon yeah just yeah it just spawned <laughs> And then he, like, shonkily, like, rubbed it out because it's like, oh, it's made of graphite, like a pencil. And then he's like, scribble? <laughs> yeah, it's very it's very low budge, very... Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's quite cheesy in this episode. A lot of things are quite cheesy, but I think it's so mm. cheesy that it comes out the other side. You know, yeah, like, yeah. It's that weird combo of, which, again, I think Doctor Who does sometimes, of being like, sometimes it feels like it's pitched at that younger audience, which yeah. is exactly what you said, RTD wanted a younger mm. audience episode. But it still has like that dark core. Yeah. Like this terrifying, scary monster thing that then like comes alive and is fed by the memories of their abusive parent is fucking dark. Otherwise, it's very like kidsy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. the Olympic things is weird though. Because like <laughs> so weird. the whole crowd disappearing in a stadium. Like, surely, how do you explain that afterwards? People are going to be talking about it. That's going to be a major talking point. Literally. I think they have the news presenter Hugh Edwards doing that voiceover because it sounded just like him. Otherwise, they've got like a middle-aged Welsh man who can do a great Hugh Edwards impersonation to do that voiceover. It's so funny because I was in London for the 2012 Olympics and I just... It's so funny watching back at something that obviously was like, they were just guessing what it was going to look yeah, like. Yeah, it was yeah, just like yeah. sad bunting. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, this is enough for um, Olympics. <laughs> what are you doing? Mm. Obviously the mascots hadn't been designed yet. No, no, they no, weren't they anywhere know. to be seen. Not at all. Yeah. And like, when they do the like through the TV, it's like obviously <laughs> the most budget team of extras like meant to be a crowd, but there's like four of them in shot. Even the, yeah, the people yeah. waiting for the torch to yeah, go yeah, by, yeah, especially yeah. like three people yeah. just standing there. They just took them off the street in Cardiff for their day being like are you doing anything Come yeah literally stand here you can't wear a coat though because we're pretending it's uh, not cold <laughs> jumping to the end of the app the doctor with the torch so fucking dramatic I love like, it like he's so <laughs> just finds the drama some really great quotes in this like you know mm. what's your game snakes and ladders quite good at squash reasonable I'm being facetious aren't I? <laughs> yeah it is good I like that that <sighs> plot wise I'm not into it but like dialogue you're right is has some level of entertaining to it <laughs> the council ma- like the council, yeah, the council road van. yeah i wrote down that quote you just took the council axe from the council van and now you're digging up our council road i'm going to report you to the council <laughs> and then rose is like what's that there's a spaceship not a council spaceship i'm afraid <laughs> like that man loves a smooth finish and i will t- <laughs> like this is something of coming into my old age it's so lovely when you get a nice smooth road surface. I, I got really real enjoy grumpy it. yesterday because I had to drive into town last night and with the rain. Mm-hmm. I don't understand these roads in Wellington where you literally cannot see anything in the rain. Like no, no, the no, road disappears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't like, see the lights. You can't see the roads. You can't see the arrows. No, you can't, you can't see, see, see the anything. middle markings. It's so weird. I think it's the light off the rain, right? There's different finishes on the motorway. 
And then in one point, the splashback from the cars in front of you is so bad. Like, it's just, like, in mm. your window. Like, the wipers can't go fast enough. And then you go onto a different road surface and it's like, oh, suddenly I can see again. And I'm like, this is messed up. Why is this yeah. within a kilometer space, these different road surfaces? is very annoying. Yeah, someone needs to make some paint that you can see in the rain and the dark. Because I don't understand why we've not fixed this yet. I know, because it's very, it's like the roads hold, like, it's like they hold surface water that makes a reflective surface, but, like, they shouldn't be holding standing fucking water, right? There needs to be a fix. Like, if it glows, it can go through the water. Can we do UV paint? Can someone just get on this? UV. Like, I don't understand. Something luminescent. Because, legit, sometimes you'll be driving in Wellington. You can't can't see the the lanes. You just follow the person in front of you and hope for the best. And, I mean, it rains a lot here. It really does. And it's quite dark. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, if you were listening, Capital on the Coast, this is at you. Yeah. Fix the potholes. Went on the back of one of my partner's motorbikes recently. Like, road surface. On the back of a motorbike. It's fucking ridiculous. Mm. Anyway. Yep. No. So I appreciate Councilman's diligence. Yeah. And, you know, he's fixing those potholes. He's good at that. Yeah, yeah. He's doing a great job. Did you notice, again, tying to the low-budget vibes, the, like, weirdly shaky camera work at some point... <laughs> Like mid episode, like they were just talking in the house, like in the front room with the mum and the doctor, and the camera's just real shaky. It's oh, really no, weird. I did not notice mm. that. Yeah, thank you. Sure you just like one dude in a. Wasn't like just me. Like, Your TV's shaking. No, excuse me. I watch it on my work computer at home. <laughs> Fun yeah, times. okay, that was just me then. Uh, but no, I really noticed that. Mm. Rose doing a full-on shining moment. Yeah. With a council axe. <laughs> no, a council pickaxe through a door. Yeah. Here's Rose. Yeah, dude, this is just a fair... Like, if this feels to the audience, like, listing random things, this is how this episode is. Yeah. A very, like, near plot, and then just, like, in some interesting things that happened in a low-level way. Yeah. And then I just get annoyed by Rose being so panicky when the Doctor doesn't come back. Like, he's Ugh. obviously coming back. Like, yeah. just calm. Down. And also, like, in the grand scheme of things, this is London 2012. It's fine. You could just go find your mum. Like, it's going to be somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's not, at least apart from if she died between 2006 and 2012, who knows. But but no, like, she can get trapped on planets. Yeah. I don't know. I just hate it as that continuing. Well, and this is a good point, that towards the end of the app, where she's like, they keep trying to split us up, but, you know, it won't work, because we'll never, ever be separated. And the Doctor's like, never say never, ever. Mm. And it's, like, real intense energy from Rose. Like, she's holding his hand. She is, like, full bore deep in with him. So the hand-holding's interesting, because there's this quote from the Doctor where he says, I'm going to just read the whole thing. Yeah, Fear, go. loneliness. They're the big ones, Rose. Some of the most terrible acts ever committed have been inspired by them. We're not dealing with something that wants to conquer or destroy. There's a lot of things you need to get across this universe. Warp drive, wormhole refractors. You know the thing you need most of all? You need a hand to hold. Mm. And then when he doesn't come back, she stands in the middle of the road and she's like who's gonna hold his hand now so then when he does appear she does hold his hand Mm. and yeah it's a it's a big moment for her where she's like she's gonna travel with him forever but it's also hella foreshadowing for what is coming so yeah is it is it the next double where she goes but she only did two seasons yeah oh so her leaving i vaguely remember because i got real emotion about it at the time mm, so I, I remember like barely anything of these early seasons that i watched when they first came out but i do remember her leaving and being sad as fuck so that's gonna be our next episode <sighs> okay <laughs> good your lloyds yep okay so did you have a standout moment despite the madness of the episode I had a couple and and mainly it was the doctor and his witty repartee yeah yeah 
So his mini rant on uh, edible ball bearings. Yeah, cute. Yeah. Um, and then also fingers on lips. Yeah. But I think now you're saying it about the whole, it was meant to appeal to like the younger audience. Mm. Like that's a very like fingers on lips. Like kids recognize that from school, from, you know, whatever. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm. It felt like, I think I said this last season, where you have a bit of a lull on the before the double finale. I think that's on purpose. It's like they kind of like lull you into like, ah, me, 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 safe, safe, comfy. Just need to bring it down a bit. And then bring it down so then we can bring it up with intensity for the penultimate. Yeah. Part one of the two-parter finale and then like, bam, with the denouement and the finale. So yeah, I think that's probably strategic. To mm. just have a bit of a, we're coasting, we're cruising. Like either episode. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not high intensity, so you don't have, like, three back-to-back episodes of, like, rah. Yeah. You have to manage people's emotional response. If you really want to land a strong emotional ending, you can't have people up here the whole time. No, you no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's bring a good them point. down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my standout moment was... Yeah, sorry, mate. You go. Uh, the doctor saving the Olympics, because it's so... <laughs> cheesy it's so dramatic and it's so ridiculous and i just remember desperately wanting david tennant to do the torch relay for the <laughs> Olympics. i just thought that would have been so good is it uk treasure doctor who's a national institution oh, he should have brought that. it in like, that would have been amazing um but it, they, he did not and it did not deliver so yeah disappointing yeah missed a trick there i think yeah the torch thing was funny and the whole like yeah again though Doctor as saviour. Yeah, I mean, that's just a whole jam, isn't it? Like like you said, Rose did have some cool character developments, finding some agency, like she's having to save the day, but only because he gave her a clue somehow from within the drawing. And then, <laughs> big yawn. Yeah. <laughs> um, then she's like put on the right track and like, you know, putting two and two together and that's great. But then again, like, it's down to the Doctor carrying the torch and... Finishing the job. Yeah, exactly. It's just very Doctor-centric. It like, is Doctor Who. He gets that. Well, <laughs> he is the protagonist of the show. <laughs> you don't have any science quibbles about how the drawings come to life this episode? No. Though I do think it was funny that they've just sped up the the film in mm. order to get her to show that she's drawing fast. Yeah. It's just like really sped up. The magic of cinema. Yeah. I did annoy me slightly that the mum was a bit incompetent. Like, <laughs> like leaving her alone. Kept really. leaving her alone when they like one thing is like, do not like stop her from drawing. And then she's like, oh what? And she like wandered off to get a drink. And then this child has fucking pencils hidden everywhere. And that's so funny. Like, she's got pencils stashed like an alcoholic. Yeah, literally what? stashed like an alcoholic. Like under, under the, the bed. mattress. And yeah, the in the in the like in the stuffy. And she like pulls the head of the stuffy off, and there's like pencils like, inside. Why is she prepared for this eventuality? No, I don't know. Pencils will yeah. be taken off. Yeah, like, I saw this. It's like, you must dash pencils in case they try and take your pencils. <laughs> it's so weird. And then the mum is like, she's fine. Like, you know, she don't know fucking shit what's going on, mum. And then she left her and then she could barricade herself in the room. <laughs> but lot. I know, like, you've got to, like, build some peril, right? And if everyone did exactly what they were told and... We wouldn't have a story. I know, but then you can just, like, find some more interesting perils and, like, peril from just, like, not following instructions. I hate it. You had, you had one job. I'm chill. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Do you have anything else to add, my friend? No, that was it. How about you? <laughs> no, that's literally it. Yeah. Right, well then, yeah, what are we? Wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, so, cool. So, 
as we have touched on, next week we'll be wrapping up season two with the two-parter Army of Ghosts and Doomsday. Mm. Let us know your thoughts by emailing a Titus of one's own at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the show notes for links. Uh, which there'll be at least one. Yes. And all the references discussed in this app. Amazing. But dude, I can't believe we're honing in on the end of season two. Yeah, new companion soon. All right. Well, okay, well, right. Th- well this is it. Okay, we're good. Okay, uh, I feel like... Do, Happy do New Year. New okay. Year, new us. Do, do no. I have more thoughts? No. Um, oh, no, Torchwood. They're dropping the Torchwood hints. That's what I was going to say. Mm. And I feel like that's leading us into these finals. But do you know it's kind of like a bit... I mean, I know it's Doctor Who's thing, but like the whole first season was all like, bad wolf, bad wolf. And now it's all like, Torchwood, Torchwood. Yeah. It's a bit like, meh, okay. like Follow the breadcrumb. Hit us over the head with your fucking subtle foreshadowing, Jesus. Yeah. It's not a breadcrumb, mate. It's an entire loaf of chuff and bread. <laughs> like, it's just like loaves of bread that everyone's like... Follow the bread, little ducklings. <laughs> no, the duckling will choke on the massive clue. <laughs> I'm just thinking of a better boy when he kills the duck with a loaf of bread. <laughs> Oh my god. Anyway, good times. Oh, it was like a baby Nicholas Holt. I know. Oh. Before he got hot and he was in skins. Yeah. I mean, he was like 17 in that, so I wasn't like prepping on him. I was 17 at the time. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> just to clarify. <laughs> yeah, just to clarify. All right. Well, okay. see you on in that two note. Weeks. Uh, 